I am so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's show, a new book that releases on August 18th called Love or Work. Co-written by Jeff and Andre Schinnebager, which is just fun to say, the popular hosts of the Love or Work podcast, this book is answering this question. Is it possible to change the world, to stay in love, and to raise a healthy family? In this book, Jeff and Andre, they do not shy away from the hard conversations or questions that we all ask when we are in a relationship. How do we enter into these moments with empathy? Where do we go and what do we do when we disagree? How do we support not just our partner, but also their purpose? Honestly, I have found a total lack of resources as I try to navigate a modern marriage where we're navigating like two working parents pursuing their vocations, wanting to support one another, and just kind of the stickiness and the messiness and the awesomeness that comes with that. I really suggest you check out their book. I highly recommend it. Now, speaking of purpose and passion and vocation, let's get to our show. You're listening to Plucking Up, a podcast that shares uninhibited conversations with celebrated authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and leaders about their pluck-ups and how they moved on and up to keep creating and inspiring others to build a life of purpose, passion, and impact. I'm your host, Liz Bohannon. Our next guest, in my humble opinion, is one of the best people to ever have happened to the internet since the internet was invented. Morgan Harper Nichols is an artist, a poet, and author of All Along You Were Blooming. Morgan has collaborated with huge brands like Coach, Adobe, Live Nation, Aerie, and her Morgan Harper Nichols stamped poetry and art continues to get shared all across the World Wide Web, inspiring her 1.4 million followers and lots of other people as well. But before she really found her footing, Morgan had to deal with what most of us have experienced at some point in our life. You know, that feeling of insecurity and thinking we're just never good enough when we look and compare our lives with the people we look at that we think have made it. In this episode, Morgan talks to us about her very real and raw pluck-ups. She shares about how she never got the songwriter career that she dreamed of, which frankly ended up breaking her emotionally and financially. Our conversation covers a lot of ground. I don't want to give too much more away. So pluckies, get a nice beverage of choice, sit back, and I hope y'all enjoy my conversation with Morgan as much as I did. Oh, Morgan, I am so happy to be back with you. Unfortunately, not in person or virtual, but it's really good to be sharing a virtual space with you. So thank you so much for joining us on the Plucking Up podcast. Yes, well, thank you for having me. Yes, it's good to be back with back with you too. That seems like ages ago that we saw each other. <laughs> Remember when we just did things like that? So for those of you who don't know, well, we've been together in person multiple times, but always in the setting of like pre-COVID world conferences where there's hundreds of people gathering together and photo shoots where we're all hugging and we're up in each other's faces. And hopefully we'll someday we'll make it back there. Yes. But until then, I shall enjoy your beautiful face oh. on this screen. <laughs> Likewise. So for those of you who are not familiar with the Morgan Harper Nichols. Um, first of all, get familiar. Literally get out your phone right now and go follow um, Morgan specifically on Instagram because I feel pretty confident in saying she's the best part of Instagram. No. <laughs> I do. I do. You just have a way of bringing us together and of your wisdom and your art. I'm not even going to go on. I'm actually going to let you explain to people. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about who is Morgan Harper Nichols and um, how did you get to where you are? And and really feel free to kind of take us 
back to the beginning. Like, where did you grow up? What was your family like? Kind of start start from the very beginning. Yes. Well, I was born at Long Beach in Long Beach, California. There you go. <laughs> and I was about to say the name of the hospital. I was like, wait, I don't, I can't, why can't I think of the name of the hospital I was born in? <laughs> but um, I grew up in a very creative family. Both my parents are musicians. Um, my parents are also ministers. And I grew up as a homeschool preacher's kid. I was born in California, but we ended up moving to Georgia when I was very young. Ooh, and yeah, it was a big jump. <laughs> so I, I grew up in the South um, and I was very kind of introverted, kept to myself. And I always struggled with like, I felt very creative, but at the same time, I felt like you kind of had to be an extrovert or you mm. kind of had to have a, have a bigger, stronger personality if you were creative or artistic, which now I know that's not true, but you know, that's just, as a kid, that was a message that I was receiving because that mm. was just the people that I was around. And I was just like, oh, well, they're that way. So I'm obviously not good enough for whatever. So I seriously feel like my whole childhood was just like this internal struggle of just constantly filling up my journals, drawing, playing piano in my room, doing all of these things. But at the same time, usually being terrified to share it with people and just wanting to keep it to myself. I remember one time just being like, when I was 14 at a summer camp and I brought my journal with me, to, like who brings a journal to summer camp? Um, so sweet. I do, apparently. So I brought my journal to summer camp and um, I was just like writing poems, you know, as one does in the middle of July in Atlanta. And one of the boys like got my my journal. He stole, like snatched <gasps> out of my hand, started reading my poems. And he was like, these are terrible, blah, blah, blah. And, and just making fun of them. And yeah, back then I didn't laugh. Like that felt like no, that's kind was, of like, traumatizing yeah. for a fourteen-year-old. One, the privacy invasion, and then two, to just have something that was so tender to you be yeah. made fun of. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, I actually think he was one of the like, like. Don't tell me he was like a leader. Yeah, he was like a leader, and <laughs> I want to talk to him. I hope he's listening to this right now. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I don't even remember what he looked like, but I just remember thinking like, who are you and why do you feel like that's okay? And, and, you know, I was so shocked. I didn't even know what to say. You know, I was like, whoa, is this actually happening? So for me, it was just like, you know, nobody like stood up for me in that moment. For me, it was just like, okay, you just don't do that. You know, it's like, it's not cool to be a poet. It's not cool to <laughs> be an artist. Yeah. And I mean, I was growing up in Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta has a thriving music scene yeah. a thriving arts community I mean, there's some huge acts huge names that have come out of atlanta still coming out of atlanta so i will always kind of compare myself to what i was seeing i'm like well i'm not on that level i'm not like them um and then to make it even more challenging and this is something i haven't even really started to process until recently but just like you know i i i'm a black american i'm a black person and, and atlanta is Atlanta is a place for Black excellence. I mean, you have historically Black colleges and universities. You have, I mean, Martin Luther King, like from like yeah. Martin Luther King to Outcast to like, there's a wide range of, of people from Atlanta. It's like, okay, yeah, this is a place of Black excellence. And for me, I was just like, I'm nowhere near that level. Like, mm. I'm not good enough. And and yeah, that was a very just sort of strange experience for me because at home and my parents till this day, my parents are still like my biggest cheerleaders. Like they're, they're super supportive of my sister and I, and they were always encouraging us to be creative and try things. But I felt like when I left that front door, it was over. Like, it was like, okay, now it's the time to suppress that stuff. Now it's the time to like not be weird. Now is the time to like not just like share your poems or your weird guitar songs. Um, I have a question for you about that. Yeah. Do you think that this is just like, you know what, this was part of my story, no matter where I was or what the kind of external environment would have been, I probably would have felt this way. Or when you look back on that, are there things that you're like, you know what, had I seen this? Had this been there for me, maybe I wouldn't have felt so othered. Maybe I wouldn't have felt so alone and like I had to change myself to be 
accepted? Is that something that you like have a thought around? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the first thing that comes to mind is like, I honestly feel like if the internet had been around mm. the way it is now, I know we, the internet's obviously a wild place, but just the, even the simple concept of just hashtags and just being able to Google and find people that look like you, even if they didn't have a lot of followers, but they're just interested in quirky, weird things. I didn't have that access. Yeah. So yeah, I feel, I mean, at the same time, I'm glad I wasn't like an eight-year-old just, you know, on Google. <laughs> eight-year-old <laughs> just doing your like toy unboxing videos <laughs> on YouTube. Yes, but, <laughs> but first it's like my mom loved thrift stores, like still does. Love, love, love going to thrift stores. And for the people that we were around, like that was weird. Ah, uh, yeah. But it's yeah. like, if we could have, if my mom could have just looked up like thrift store hauls on YouTube, like, oh, okay. You know, there's some, there's, there's some, a whole community of people that celebrate this yes, and that also think it's fun. Exactly. Yeah. It's like there's somebody in out in Tulsa or Charleston that does this. And yeah, we don't even know them, but it's cool to know you're not alone. So totally. That's really interesting. I think when we grow up and we're kids without the internet, yeah, you grow up in a relatively small mm -hmm. world. So it's like if your mom is the only person that's into thrift store shopping, like your yeah. mom is the weirdo, you know, and like that's the yeah. story that it, that is the story that you have. That's the kind of like, you know, the narrative that exists for you. And so if you don't see yourself represented in that, it totally makes sense that you would say, like, I'm the weirdo. I'm the oddball. If I ever want to fit in anywhere, like, I'm going to have to just fit yeah. into this specific mold. Yes. Yes. That is so, yeah, that's so beautifully said. That That is exactly what my experience was. And I really do think that around the time I was 14, 15, that was when we got DSL internet. And <laughs> we only had one computer and it was just downstairs in the same homeschool room, library, study that we all used. Yeah. And that was a pivotal moment because I started to find like quirky internet forums where people were interested in writing fantasy poems inspired by Lord of the Rings. Yes. And <laughs> I love you. I love you and your nerdy 14-year-old self. And yeah, it was such a small community. But it was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can be like a geek here or whatever word I was using then. I don't know, but I can be a nerd. I can be into this, even though I don't necessarily feel like I can be that way out with everyone else. Yeah. I do feel like now I have like my group. So I, I think that's a huge part of like, that's still very constant in my life today. Wow. Like it's, I yeah. feel like my life has honestly been different variations of that and I I think it's nothing but grace that I've just been able to find that because like I do feel lonely I do get I do get into my head and start thinking like oh wait a second I am just too weird this is just too much but I've been able to find like okay no maybe it is for some people maybe I am too much for some people maybe this is too weird for some people but there are other people out there that is such a beautiful, I kind of feel like, I mean, I'm not going to, but I feel like we get in the podcast here. What a beautiful sentiment and reminder. And you know what? I think that that's, that is a part of what we hope this podcast is. It's like, I hope you just feel a little less alone. Whatever you're going through, this is more about, you know, going through seasons of pluck up or like rejection, but that general sentiment, whether it's a season that you're going through, whether it's a weird part about your personality, whether it's the, the thing that you love and just can't get enough of, like you're not alone. Mm. Okay. So 14 year old Morgan discovered the internet <laughs> and she found other friends writing Lord of the Ring poetry <laughs> and things started to change. Let's pick up from there. Where did things go after that? Yes. From that point. And please tell me you've written a poem that references the Shire. Please, <laughs> please. You know, I, it's so funny. Like I, I would use like random usernames, like, but if someone were to do some digging, they could find some real fun stuff. <laughs> Woo. The internet Man. is forever, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> that is so forever. Good. We would be nerdy friends. I was like really into the Shire specifically and like, oh yeah, super I nerdy. Like me yeah. and my high school boyfriend had this whole like language and like thing about the Shire, like oh, super we weird. So we totally would have been yeah. friends. <laughs> um, okay. So you found the internet. You're 14. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
from that point, it was just like a series of, and I have a sister who's two years younger than me, who's also very creative. So it was, there was some overlap there. Like we would collaborate on things. We would try different things together. And from that point, it just went from like, oh, wow. What if I started my own little GeoCities website? What if I started a Zanga? What if I got into photography? What if I got into music? So it was a lot of different things. Um, but I ended up really kind of focusing on music for a couple of reasons. And the biggest one, uh, it started with, went to my grandparents' house one day and my grandfather who's very similar to my mom, <laughs> like likes to just collect things from garage sales and thrift stores and things. And he had started to just collect instruments that he found. So he started to play guitar and in like in his sixties. And I love that. He was like, <laughs> and he, he was like, Hey, come look at this guitar. I got like, I want to show you some stuff. So I just went in there just honestly being nice to my grandfather. And the second he passed me the guitar, I, Literally, to this day, I feel like I've never as clearly heard the voice of God. I heard, you are going to use this. Wow. And it was like, it was such like, it almost just winded me. Like, I just fell out of breath. I was like, whoa, what was that? Because up until this point, I, I would not have used his language then. I didn't know. But I really was hmm. starting to deal with depression. Um, and just... Teenagers feeling alone, that's a real thing. Yeah. It's a real thing. And when I look back on it now and when I read journal entries from back then, I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That was that was a low place, really low place. So that moment was just sort of like, okay, I don't know what this is, but I was curious. I was drawn to it. So my grandfather let me take that guitar home. And I think that same day he had like an old drum set. And he let my sister take the drum set home. So we went home and we just taught ourselves how to play. And it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> there was no like YouTube tutorials back then. Like there was stuff on the internet about like playing instruments, but it wasn't, it was not what it is today. So I think that was one part of it. And then the other part of it was just that feeling of loneliness, that feeling of, of not being connected. It was, it was clear to me as is to most people, well, music connects you. Like, Music connects you with other people. So yeah. there definitely was some desire for peer approval in that. Like thinking, okay, well, if I can figure out how to play an instrument, if I can figure out how to sing and make mm. music, then maybe I'll finally be a cool kid. Maybe I'll finally have like my group of friends. And I was just drawn to just hearing these different bands. And I was just like, maybe someday, like I'm going to be like the first black girl who like plays in this band and does this blah, blah, blah. And so yeah, that it was this sort of internal thing going on of just like it there is this sort of spiritual, mysterious calling that I was feeling I was having, but at the same time, it was sort of like, okay, but I can't be the weird kid forever. Like maybe this is my ticket out of weirdom. Like this is my way to finally be normal and accepted. So yeah, that was a huge turning point. And I kind of shifted everything I was doing to, I was like, I'm going to be a singer songwriter. Um, and I started to kind of put myself out there, but even in doing that, I was still kind of met with like, like again, like there wasn't a ton of reference points for, um, like singer songwriters. So a lot of people would be like, Oh, well, you know, why, why the guitar though? <laughs> like, why are you doing that? And that was very challenging. It was very challenging because it was like, yeah, it's weird to to feel drawn to something, but there's just not really a reference point. There's not really anywhere specific that you can look. I mean, the internet was there, but it was still like I didn't <laughs> I didn't know who to search for, what to search for, like what to kind of do. All I just knew is that okay, I do want to play and I do know how to play, and I'm figuring out how to play it. So I ended up going to um college for music and yeah i just enrolled as a music major oh wow um, i actually graduated high school at 16 just being homeschooled um but i started kindergarten two years early so i ended up graduating two years early so i didn't skip any grades so in addition to like i'm so artistic and i love words and ideas you also had the homeschool thing going on, yeah. which could, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I think there's probably amazing parts and hard parts, but like, I could see how that would also contribute to that mm -hmm. sense of like othered. Yeah. 
and now I would not have said this then. Now I'm really grateful that I was homeschooled because considering the area that I was in and considering what was popular at the time, I think how how I was, it would have been even more illuminated and I probably would have even felt even more lonely mm. just to be honest so it was it was hard but yeah. at least I had parents who were supportive at home guys are loving this conversation with Morgan as much as I am. We are going to take a quick little break to learn a little bit more about the sponsor of today's episode. Okay, so I just want to remind you about this book that I'm really excited about that launches on August 18th called Love or Work. You know, Jeff and Andre really had me at this term that they have coined called partnership over patriarchy. Amen to that. They refer to this book as a field guide on how to make love and work work. What I love about their book is that in addition to sharing a lot of personal stories, they actually did a national research project and interviewed over 1,500 people that were in committed relationships, and they really speak to real challenges that real couples are facing as they try to build lives of purpose, passion, and impact and do it while they stay in love and raise a family. It's available everywhere August 18th at loverworkbook.com. Okay, so you got into music, and were you and your sister doing it together? Um, back and forth, back and forth, and we're okay. still that way. Like, <laughs> we'll do stuff together. We'll team up, like, oh, this is this area, and then like we just go our own way, and then we yeah. come back, and then it's yeah, that's literally like every week with us. <laughs> were you a professional musician? You went to school for music. Is that like the career that then you pursued after undergrad? Yes, yes, I ended up doing that. Um, that wasn't the plan because I became a music major and then I switched to English and then I switched back to music and then I switched away again. <laughs> this is a lifelong thing. It is. <laughs> so here's what I love, though. You had this moment. I often tell people because a lot of, you know, what I talk about and in, in leadership, I feel like a huge question that people ask me is like, how do you find your passion? And I really try to switch the language to like, you don't really find it. You kind of build it and you mm-hmm. stay curious and you experiment and, and sometimes what I say is like very few people hear the voice of God, mm-hmm. you know, being like the, having the moment of like, this is this is going to be significant for you. It's pretty rare. Like a lot of people don't feel like they have that moment. They wake up one day. They're just like, ah, it fits. There's this moment. There's this vision. There's this voice from above. And what I kind of love is that you literally had that like you in a very literal way in the way that I'm like that doesn't happen you're like yes it does (laughs) and it happened to me and so I think that's one it's really cool but two still for years after that you know like went all around figuring out but what does that actually mean and how does this fit and is it art is it music is it poetry yes how does that fit into my college how does that fit into my (laughs) vocation so I do think that's kind of interesting that I guess what we can say is even if you get the message from God it's still probably going to be a pretty windy path yeah and Morgan can confirm this (laughs) I have never thought of it that way before and that is, that is so true. It's like God was like, look, I'm going to break it down for you as plain as possible. Still don't get it. <laughs> I love it. So you were like flip-flopping back and forth between all the things you pursued music. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I was, again, just kind of flirting with it, not really committing to it. I'm putting a little bit out there, but never really just going, all right, I'm just going all in, giving it all I have. It's just like, okay, I have this ability. I have this skill. But my sister, who's two years younger than me, was just way more driven and passionate about it. And she really went for it. And um, particularly on YouTube. And she just really showed up there. And she was like making videos all the time and putting a community. And then she ended up like going on tours and getting a record deal and all of the stuff. And I honestly just kind of got looped into it with her. Like, I was mm. just... I was just like, well, okay, I guess I'm just going to follow my little sister. And that's literally kind of what I did because she just kind of went out and did it, but she didn't really have like a team or anything. Hmm. So 
I met my husband in college. And then shortly after that, um, I worked like a regular job for a while, but there were some changes happening at the job. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to stay there forever. So I was like, okay, let's just go on the road with Jamie, my sister. So we just left and <laughs> on the road. And and did that feel like, were you like, cool, I'm kind of like my sister's doing the thing and I'm going to get to benefit from that and I'll jump in and we'll do it together? Or was that more difficult? Was it was it hard to see your little sister having the sense of like, I know what I'm here for, I'm doing the dang thing, and, and you didn't necessarily feel like you had that at that point? You know, I was cool with it. There were moments where I had like, oh, that was a neat opportunity. That'd be nice to have. But I had seen her be really driven. I was like, she worked really hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In a way that like, I was like, oh, she literally got these opportunities directly from YouTube. And she has five times more videos up than me. So <laughs> Morgan, that is, you know, it's a really impressive perspective to have. Cause I think oftentimes we can tell ourselves these stories. Well, stuff just happens for her. The world's out to get me, but to have that perspective of just like, cause I think, more often than not, it's kind of true that it's like success is a metric of like, how bad do you want it? How hard are you going to try? How many times are you going to get back on the horse? And so for even in the context of like such a close relationship and friendship, they I think could be difficult to be able to have that wherewithal, which which is just like she literally has tried approximately five times harder than I have, you know, and like and and here is like the result of that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that was kind of how I felt. But it did start to get to me, I think, when I was traveling with her and we were playing shows. And then I ended up discovering the whole songwriting industry and in that you can just like be a songwriter. Like you don't have to be an artist, you can be a songwriter. And I was like, well, that sounds amazing. I would love to do that. Like, I can go to the Shire with my notebook and write some songs. <laughs> yes. I can just sit in a room and just write songs all day. And then people tell me if they like them or not. I'm like, that sounds wonderful. Um, but as it turns out, you know, that job doesn't really come up with like a salary or anything. Mm, so, mm -hmm. <laughs> at least for me, it didn't. It was like, okay, yeah, you got to write songs. They got to hope people pick them up and then you earn royalties based on that. So but I was like, you know what? I want to try it though. I want to give it a shot, see what I have. So I decided to kind of <laughs> become more of an artist and I ended up getting a record deal and all of this, I did all of it because I was like, well, that's going to give me the opportunity to write songs. I was like, to me, that felt like the perfect culmination of all of it. I was like, that's the poetry, that's the music, that's the art. It's all the things I love to do, but I don't have to like do so much of the other stuff. That was what was driving me. And the thing was, is that I never got there. <laughs> I never got to the career as a songwriter. and. Honestly, like it's it broke me mm. emotionally <laughs> and financially trying to make that work. And I think that that's where like the regret started to come in and like the sort of like, oh, wait a second, what the heck am I doing? Like, like maybe I've been on the wrong path. Wow. All along. <laughs> like maybe I'm not cool with seeing everybody else my age find their thing and find it in this industry, in the music industry. And then here I am giving my all and I'm not getting there. Wow. How long had you been in it? Like how long were you like, I'm going to try to make this work before you were in that place where you would have defined as like, I'm, I'm kind of broken about this? About two years because I felt like I had paid my dues. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, Okay, I kind of been here for a minute, you know. No one's listening. What, what what happened? Like, did you get a record deal, but then no one bought the album? Or yeah. Like, what was the mechanics of like success versus failure? Yeah. So the thing was, was that like I had started to write songs with my sister before having a record deal or anything, and my mindset was was like, okay, there are people out there who she's connected to and that I'm meeting to that like when they hear songs, they can say, oh, I want to pitch this song to this artist or I want to sing the song as an artist. So I was like, okay, all I got to do is just write better songs. Like then, then we'll do it. So I actually had a moment where I got to write on a song with my sister. And the first song that I wrote with her, it ended up going number one on Billboard Gospel. So I was just like, oh, oh, okay. I'm a good songwriter. Yay. And it was just like, wow. a, I was a part of the song in a small way. It wasn't yeah. like, I didn't, I didn't like come up with the whole concept or whatever, but I was built on that list as a songwriter. I still have like a plaque in my house that has like number one billboard 
you know, songwriter thing. Yeah. And for me, I was like, okay, this is it. I did it. I did it. I did it. So I think when that happened, it was sort of like, okay, well, it's going to keep going. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Cause I was able to use that to show like, okay, look, I'm worthy of signing as an artist. I'm worthy of being in this community with these writers. Um, you know, I've, I've had the song. I clearly you get that validation. Every- Everybody um, ar- around you sees you get that validation. It's a stamp yes, of like, approval. yeah, cause that doesn't happen. I mean, that doesn't happen for everyone. Like you don't just yeah. show up in Nashville and write on a song and then it just goes to number one. That doesn't happen. So for me, I mean, all the time. So for me, for that to happen, I was like, that feels good. Like I'm cool with that. Let's run with that. Um, I ended up getting a record deal kind of off of this hype of, of just really kind of being there and trying to prove myself as a writer. Um, spent a long time working on the album and the album just came out and did nothing. Um, I, the album was really expensive to make. Like, like so expensive. It was very heartbreaking. As someone who puts an album out, is there like a time frame? Was there like an acute moment where you had to acknowledge what it was? That it was like, this isn't going to take off. This didn't do the thing that we all hoped it would do. Yeah. It was when I I remember I was invited to a thing with a lot of other artists. And I went assuming that the meals were paid for and they were not. And the restaurant was very expensive. I've been there. I've so been there. <laughs> and I find out at the end, you know, after we've all wined and dined, that I've got to pay for it. And yeah, I swiped that little card and it went through. But when I got home, it was red. <laughs> and I think for me, it was like, because I can play all kinds of mind things with myself and be like, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. But when you reach below zero, there's no positivity. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's no, yeah. There's no thought that can pull that number back up. Like, I can't <laughs> think my way out of that. So for me, it was like, wow, I sat there with all those people. They had no idea that I'm sitting there sweating, like hoping the, the server doesn't come back and say, like, your card's declined. Yeah, because part of your job, probably my guess would be as an artist promoting an album and you're like new on the scene literally part of your job is making people think Mm -hmm. you're the ish Mm -hmm. and that it's going well and that people are loving it and it's like Mm -hmm. there's a part that you probably were expected to play i remember the weeks after that because we were living in nashville at the time and nashville has some amazing coffee shops but i mean you know it's eight bucks a cup a lot of times. And I remember other like people that I should be networking with, connecting with, like reaching out saying, Hey, you want to go get coffee? And I'm like, actually, no, I don't have $8 for a cup of coffee right now. Plus three, $4 for parking. I don't have that. And having to like make up excuses and pretend to be more busy. It's like, this doesn't feel right. You know? And for me, I kind of got to a point in 2016 where I was like, I would rather just leave all of this behind me than keep pretending. Wow. I would rather just give up and stop acting like I'm fine with the way this has played out. I would rather just stop. I literally, I feel this story in my body. Like I'm thinking about you sweating at that dinner when you realize it's not going to get paid for, like, you know, playing the part and like, I'm this artist in Nashville and I, look, I had this number one hit, but Meanwhile, I can't pay for a cup of coffee and like everything feels fake and I'm trying to make it seem like it's working and it's not working. And not only is it not working, but I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. Like I've done everything that I can. I'm curious to know what was your specific like shame story that you told yourself? It's not working because what? What was that story in those really, really dark, challenging times that you said about yourself? Yeah, such a good question. It was awfully similar to the stories from my teen years of looking at other artists and saying, I'm not them. And the difference was, is that, you know, I was coming from Atlanta where a lot of the artists I was around were Black artists. They were, so it was more of like, oh, my personality. But now I was around a lot of white artists. And now it was like, oh, well, I'm not white. I was like, if I were white with this voice, maybe they would have listened more. 
if I were skinnier, maybe they would have listened more. Um, if I were a man, maybe that, you know, it was just going on and on and on. And I would meet people and I would just look at them like, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm clearly the problem. Mm. It's how I look. It's my personality. Like it's who I am. That's the problem. It's so painful. Yeah. I, it just, I piled that on and cause I didn't, I didn't have a lot of people that I felt like I could even talk to that with too, who would understand. Um, I mean, I would vent to my sister all the time. Like she gets it and we still, <laughs> we still vent about yeah. it. But again, it's like, you know, you kind of want to hear it from other people, you know, it's, yeah. it's nice to have your group, like be like, yeah, I support you. I get the struggle. And there are times where I would mention it and people are just like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Like what kind of struggle, like what you have nothing to worry about. Like you're a great vocalist. And I'm like, you're saying that, but like, why am I not getting the opportunities? Like, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Someone tell me. And I mean, not to get on like a tangent, but there is sort of this thing of like, you know, and, you know, we're having this conversation in time where, you know, racial inequality is like a real issue in the world and a lot of people in America, and we're talking about that more. But for me, I grew up with the mindset of like, hey, if you talk too much about your struggle, then people are going to look at you and say, oh, you're trying to turn yourself to a victim. So I was very hesitant and scared to even share that story with people mm. and to even look at others and say, oh, well, they got this opportunity maybe because they're white or maybe because of this. I didn't even want, I was like, no, I'm not going to go that route. I'm going to take the responsibility. I'm going to put it all on myself mm. to be the best and to be the best I can be. Um, but I'm a human though, <laughs> you know, it's like, mm. I can't hold on to that. So yeah, I feel like that's a story that I'm still working through. I'm still just like, hey, it's okay to say like, this feels unfair. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to say like, I feel hurt or I feel looked over. Like that doesn't make me weak. So no, I would say that was the, that was the shame story of just like, hmm. do whatever you can to not appear weak, to not feel weak. And it eventually led you guys to, you moved out of Nashville. And did moving out of Nashville to you, did that signal the end of this dream? Was it, it like, did. I tried, mm -hmm. I gave my all, yeah. I don't know what I could have done better. The album didn't get purchased. The followers never came. It didn't happen for me. Is that what it was? It was like, this is the end of that dream? That's exactly what it was. I was just like, it's time to go. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, we literally moved to Dallas, Texas because I was like, oh, it's affordable there. We can figure things out. And I got to Dallas like thinking, I'm just going to give up. It started with, I'm going to give up music, but it didn't take long for it to get to, okay, I'm going to give up writing too. Maybe I'll just give up the whole creative thing. Maybe that was just part of my past. Literally, we can't afford to do this. My husband can only work so many freelance jobs while I try to figure out which freelance jobs I'm going to do. It's like, we can only do this so much. Wow. So this was only four years ago, Morgan. <laughs> this was four years so ago. It was like a lifetime ago. <laughs> you know, and like fast forward and now you're this very successful known artist. You have this massive community that you've built. You've just like, you know, published a book and you're packing out rooms and like... Give us the kind of the short version of like what happened between I moved to Dallas and I'm giving up to where you are today. Because while things are not perfect by any, you know, stretch of the imagination for any of us, you definitely are someone who is definitively using your gifts to make the world a better place. You're inspiring people. You're creating community. You are living into your purpose and you are creating an impact in the world. So we got to Dallas and it was 2016 and I spent the first half of 2016 just like, okay, I've given up on music. I've given up on art. What am I going to do next? Um, well, as it turns out, I have like no kind of resume whatsoever. So <laughs> outside of music, really. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Um, I guess I'll, maybe I'll try marketing or something. Um, so <laughs> I started to just tinker around on the internet and I landed on like learning how to work for a shop and learning how to work um, Adobe Illustrator. And yeah, I ended up buying an iPad. I was like, maybe I can make ads for people or posters. I don't know. Like 
that's the way I can be creative, but it's business, you know, it's business. And then I took it a step further and I was like, I'll use that to get into like real business. And then one day I'll just leave all the art behind and I'll just go on and, and everything will be fine. And I'll just this one day I'll look back and all of this creative junk is just behind me. That was kind of my mindset. And that didn't work very long <laughs> because I, I got to November of 2016 and I was still broke (laughs) and it was still a struggle. I mean, I was picking up like, I don't know if if anyone will be familiar, but there's this site called Fiverr. Oh yeah. I've never done this story before. I had a Fiverr account and I started like designing logos and stuff under an name. Yeah, girl. Just hustling. (laughs) And yeah. So Fiverr, I don't know if it's still this way, but back then people pay you $5 like design a logo. So as you can imagine, it takes a lot of logos. So many logos to pay to your like, rent. You know, pay a phone bill. So, <laughs> and you were literally like, if you search your email, you have lots of um, invoices for five dollars that you earned to make logos. Oh yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. Which hey, you know that that almost gets you a cup of coffee in Nashville. Almost, <laughs> but you really have to do two logos with tax. Right. Yeah, you got to do two whole logos. Wow, for a cup of coffee. So anyway miraculously it was enough like i i ended up doing a lot of little things like that and it was just like enough so i even with like a few of my music contacts like i figured out how to design t-shirts and things like that so i would do little things here and there and i'm like okay i was starting to piece things together a little bit but it still just felt like really stressful and really just like this does not feel sustainable this does not feel like something i can do for a long time i was just kind of fighting those feelings of this is might be the wrong thing too. Like this might not work out either. And like, that was like one part of my brain and the other part of my brain is like, no, just keep going. Like put your feelings aside, like stop worrying about that so much. So I feel like all that kind of collided just one night I was home by myself in November and I just started bawling my eyes out. And I was just like, I'm a failure. <laughs> this is not how it was supposed to go. And I don't know what I'm going to do next. And in true Morgan fashion, I wrote a poem about it. And the poem begins and says, when you start to feel like things should happen better this year, remember the mountains and valleys that brought you here. And I wrote that in November 2016. And it was that following January that I ended up finding out it had been repinned on Pinterest over 100,000 times. And it was through that that I saw, I was like, you know what, from that time period, from November to January, I, I hadn't stopped feeling like a failure. But as it turns out, there's a hundred thousand people out there who can relate to it. To me, that was like, okay, I don't know what to do that. I don't know how to turn that into a business. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I do know that's a significant number of people. It's yeah. certainly more, pe- more people than people who bought my album. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's a lot of people. But the thing that really kind of helped me at least get with the rhythm of it was that I just started, I literally just started to read the DMs and emails that I was getting about that poem. And they were, a lot of them were from teenagers. A lot of them were from young women who were 10 years younger than me. And they were saying things like, look, I don't know who you wrote this about. I don't know who you are, but this relates to me and where I'm at. Thank you for saying this. Thank you for sharing this. Can you can you say something about this? And I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll try. (laughs) So really 2017 became the year where I was just like, let me just try some stuff. And it was all just inspired by the actual responses and feedback that I was getting. That was all I was going off of because I wasn't trying to, I didn't know where to start with like finding like the poetry community or anything. I didn't know that. I was just like, okay, because of this one moment, I now have people coming so let me just talk to them one at a time. Yeah. So yeah, I kept doing little random freelance stuff. And by the end of October, that iPad that I had, that I bought just to try to do some marketing creative stuff or whatever, I, I was like, for some reason, when I'm DMing people, I was like, that's when I come the most alive. I was like, that's when I feel... Because that's like an actual connection as an actual person. That's not like a focus group somewhere off. That's not like a demographic I'm trying to reach or a market I'm trying to reach. I was like, it's an actual person. I was like, I know how to talk to people and I know how to talk to people with art. So I was like, 
I'm just going to literally post on my Instagram. I was like, I'm just going to say, hey, if you want me to write something for you specifically, I'll just respond with art. So I was like, just send me a message with a story, a question, whatever, and I'll just respond with art. And I thought that I would do it for a week or two. And here we are three years later. And it's still that I was doing it this morning. Like I literally posted on my Instagram story this morning. I was like, hey, guys, just send me a story, send me a word. And it has become like the bedrock of what I do. And I never came up with like a name for the project or anything. It's just become, I'm like all along, I think in my life, I was trying so hard and I still fall into it, but I was trying so hard to find my community and find my group and find what places I fit. And it's just like, actually just talk to people one by one. And then you'll look back and see like, oh, that was my community. Like, like I had a situation a few days ago where someone said something racist about my work. (laughs) It was racist. And they tagged me in it. And I called them out and I was like, hey, that ain't cool. I don't put up with that. Mm. And um, at first I was really nervous about putting that out there because I was like, oh, great. Now I'm going to get a bunch of messages from people who are like, that wasn't racist. You shouldn't be offended. I didn't get one message like that. Wow. Like all the messages, every single message was like, okay, who did it? How can I help? Like, (laughs) like I support you. That was not right. Like, Mm. and I was like, you know, if I had tried to make this community, I would not have, like these people are from, all walks of life. They're from all over the world, different ages, different ethnicities, different stories. And here we all are. And everyone, I'm like, this is my community. And mm. I can't try to make it. It happens person by person. So, Okay. For those of you who are only listening, because this is a podcast, you can't see that I'm cried literal tears listening to Morgan talk about that. Yeah. I just think the wisdom and beauty you know, there's that Mother Teresa quote that's like, do for one what you wish you could do for many. I just feel like your life is that story, that it's just like, you know, move aside from the million people, the demographic, that like if you can speak powerfully and empathetically and honestly to like one person, then like that's so gold. It's so beautiful. And I just hope that there is someone, someone, not, we're not even going to go for lots of people, Morgan. Literally, I hope it's one person (laughs) that is listening to this that is in that valley right now. That's going like, what is the point? Why am I doing this? Why am I pursuing this? And to say like, the thing that you love that you're trying for, it may be the thing. So keep at it. It may end up working. If it doesn't, it doesn't mean it was all a waste. Like it may just be the thing that leads you to the next thing and the next version of like who you were created to be and exactly what the world needs right now in this moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mic drop. That is <laughs> seriously, I'm just sitting here. I'm like, yes, I'm so glad this is recorded so I can go, I can listen. <laughs> and those days that I still feel that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh no, that's gosh. so real though. Cause like the funny thing about it too. Is that when I stopped trying to make the music thing happen, now really cool stuff is happening with mm. it. Um, I ended up like literally once a day, I get a message or an email. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you had an album. I'm listening to it right now. Wow. I love it. And it's just like, yeah, this isn't, I'm not getting an email from the Grammys that's like, hey, you've been nominated. But for me, it's just like, oh, it still has a purpose. Like, yeah. even again, if it's just one person, like it's not, you know, in, in music play numbers, one person a day is not a lot of numbers. <laughs> but to me, that brings me so much peace. Yeah. You know, if one person likes something that you do and then you say that it's wasted, like you're not, you don't want to say that person mm, is wasted. Girl, yeah. We don't want to say that. It's like, no, their story's not wasted. We would never... Yeah. want them to feel that way. So like, let me not feel oh, that way about my that work. Is so good. You know, if just one person likes it. <sighs> that is so good. Morgan, I could literally talk to you all day. You are so <laughs> wise. You are so generous. You are so honest. I'm so grateful for just your like courage and honesty of sharing the real story with us. And I already know that you and your art make people feel less alone, but I truly believe that by refusing to obey the rules that say, okay, now that you quote unquote made it, 
clean up that story and like have a story about how you've kind of been there all along and like, you know, like perpetuate the myth of success of like the people that actually make it to the mountaintop. And instead, by just being so honest and sharing that with us, it really is such a gift. And I know it's going only to continue to expand that that impact and that effect that you have on our world that is um, a voice that says, like, you're not alone. You're not alone. Thank you. It was such an honor (laughs) to talk to you. I mean, this was just what I what I needed this afternoon. I'm like, yeah, I'm still on this journey. It's all good. You guys, I learned a lot in that interview. Isn't it so funny? The first time I met Morgan was probably about a year ago. And so it was the point in her story where she had like already made it, you know, whatever that means. I actually, I'll tell you a little story here. I'm going to go rogue. I was at a conference and I was speaking. I was the opening keynote speaker and I saw Morgan in the audience and I got really nervous and excited because I'm a huge fan of hers. And I looked at her probably like 10 minutes into my talk and she was looking down and it looked like she was like on her phone or computer. I couldn't really tell. And I just like speaking on stage, even when I am giving a talk to hundreds of people, somehow (laughs) I can shame spiral in the background somehow still, you know, just like, oh, I'm boring. I'm not good enough. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I saw Morgan the other few times that I looked up at her. She also was not. She she just had her head down for like the whole talk. And I was like, OK, OK, I suck. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> and then I saw Morgan in the green room afterwards because she was also speaking. And she showed me on her iPad like a dozen paintings that she did while I was talking of quotes from my keynote and she was so sweet and so kind and she was like you just like immediately started talking and I just felt like so inspired and I wanted to make this art for you and for whoever else wants it you know just like so generous so beautiful and man isn't that just the truth about being a human we are so quick to write these stories in our heads about what's going and why someone's doing something or you know not doing something And so often, we can be really pleasantly surprised. That being said, this really, really hard season for Morgan was really just a few years ago. It's just so wild, and it's so humbling, and it's just such a good reminder. Y'all, it doesn't matter what their career status is, how put together their family looks, how successful they are, whatever the metrics we're using— People are people with these incredibly beautiful, broken, bright, horrible, delightful stories. And what a treat that in this space we get to learn more about that. Morgan, you are pure gold. This podcast was made possible in part by our amazing sponsor, Baker Publishing Group, and my amazing producers, Human Group Media. For updates and announcements about the show, you can visit lizbohannon.co or follow us on Instagram at lizbohannon and at sincerelyhuman or on Twitter, you can follow human underscore media. That's all, guys. We will catch you again in the next episode. Until then, stay plucky. Stay plucky.